0: Ready baby?
1: Is this thing on? It
0: is. And we are coming to you live. Well, not really. We're live now. We are live. I
1: took I took my heart rate, my vitals. I am definitely
0: alive. Yeah, but the people listening might not listen to this for a year. Well, or that's their years. problem. They're not live, but we're live. We're live. That's right. So thank you all for coming back and spending a little more time with your worm, wormy pals, Scott and Sarah.
1: On counting worms. On counting
0: worms—that's our podcast name, and
1: and we have try to make each opening as awkward as possible.
0: That's right. Well, we as you can tell, this is unscripted. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you um, think? Yeah, it is. So you don't
1: think we wrote that?
0: No, and. I say it's scripted beginning to end. Today is not a theme episode. It's not. It non- is a soad soad. If
1: they can't tell.
0: And I've got a really kind of creepy, bummery. <laughs> a bummery. <laughs> bummery. Wow. A murdery.
1: Yeah, a bummery. Yeah. yeah. This is our first <laughs> bummery episode.
0: Well, no, but it's the first time I've ever called it that. Oh. Uh- uh, oh, okay. It's kind of a it's kind of a shithead story and yeah. sad, but I prefer bummer. But we're gonna laugh anyway. It's a bummer. <laughs> it's a bummery, and your story is uh, gonna be, eh, you know, mine, okay.
1: Yeah, mine are all as you put it. <laughs> mine are always just eh, eh. I mean, not entertaining at all. Right, filler. I filler, like to call it. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. so before we get started with our actual stories, do we have something we need to talk about? <laughs>
1: Go on command. I know. Go ahead. The nonprofit organization Bush Heritage Australia—not what you think.
0: <laughs> Don't go there.
1: Recently made a shocking discovery in the wooden boxes they built as nests for pygmy possums. Mm. Pygmy possums are tiny, like they can ride on your thumb. Tree-dwelling marsupials with big, floppy ears. Mm-hmm. large inquisitive eyes and they look like well a little make-believe creature
0: yeah Oh, you yeah gonna show me a picture? i'm gonna
1: show you a picture and you tell me what that Aww. oh is that the cutest thing you've ever Aww. seen seriously i gotta like, get one <laughs> i know right like something a child would make up i mean is that that's a pygmy that is
0: that is small
1: that is adorable isn't He's it holding
0: on to the guy's fingernail
1: yeah, I mean, and it's like they got a little curly tail, just like a real possum. Oh, is I that want the cute? One. Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever seen? Oh,
0: yes, we'll be posting.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever seen? <laughs> it
0: is. It's incredible.
1: It's almost like a mouse and a chinchilla, and only and then they shrunk it down. And, yeah, and then they made it like snack size. We got
0: to send that to Bells. Oh my gosh, she'll love it.
1: Anyway, as nectar feeders, they pollinate everything while eating. So, they're super important in maintaining ecosystems across Australia, Papua New Guinea, and Indonesia. Mm -hmm. But, unfortunately, (laughs) they also exist at the bottom of the food chain. Oh, no. So, that position makes them fair game for everything from feral cats, because people don't neuter, to dingoes to monitor lizards.
0: The dingo ate my baby. Sorry, that's That's Australian.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, the Australians knew it. Typical bad humans, <laughs> deforestation, and loss of habitat have also negatively impacted these environmentally required little adorable things. Aww. So this great group has helped to control populations of feral cats and dogs and rabbits and goats and other animals that prey on the possums or compete for the same limited resources. So they're helping to protect these little guys. Nice. So they also made nest boxes for them, uh, you know, so that they, they'd have a place to nest and oh, reproduce. That's and nice. Yeah, yeah. But they had a little bit of a shock in store for them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, another species decided to take advantage of the nesting boxes. Okay. And that was the sometimes cannibalistic but highly social huntsman spider.
0: Oh, Lord.
1: And huntsman spiders are the largest species of spider in the world mm-hmm. by leg span, up to 15 centimeters or six inches and display some behaviors that will, in fact, make your skin crawl. See, they don't spin webs to catch prey. Instead, they are aggressive hunters who... Are you ready for this? I'm ready. They live in colonies of up to 300 members.
0: Oh, lordy Lou.
1: Yeah, 300 of them.
0: Do they Six hunt in packs, sh- too?
1: Yes, surprisingly social within their own ranks. They even share their prey, and they can hunt in packs. However, when they get around other colonies, all bets are off. They turn downright violent and cannibalistic to foreign spiders. But don't worry, they don't eat humans. Just, you know... Birds, lizards, geckos, and the occasional pygmy possum.
0: Oh, there he goes. Ouch.
1: So the Bush Heritage members started noticing the spiders around the same time pygmy possums began relocating into the boxes. Upon lifting the lids, some of the boxes contained large colonies of the giant spiders whizzing around inside. Now that the typical habitat of trees to live in are in short supply, like the little fluffy little possums, they're turning to the boxes for new real estate. I suppose you should just look really carefully before sticking a hand in there. How creepy. Like Australia wasn't scary enough. Now they have hanging boxes of giant spider colonies. (laughs) Nice, huh?
0: Yeah. You know that's a that's a crazy story, and that's an incredibly cute being.
1: Isn't that the cutest oh. little alien creature yes. you've ever seen?
0: When we go to Australia, we should try and find one. and yeah. we'll sneak him back in our luggage. Yeah,
1: we, we wouldn't even have to go in your luggage. You could just fit go- him in your pocket.
0: Oh.
1: I mean, that is the cutest creature ever. You oh. just have to feed him lots of nectar.
0: Well, that is a great story for from Australia, and uh, my story happens to be from Australia oh, as well. Oh wow! Yeah, what are the are odds? Are there huntsman about that? spiders in no, it? No, no spiders.
1: 6 hundred six-inch spiders living in a colony and hunting in packs. I mean, that's
0: that's a, that's working thing, that's together the stuff of nightmares.
1: Yeah, I mean, social and working together and plotting. And they're friendly with each other.
0: They're menacing looking. They are I can menacing. I attest like to that. Yes, yes.
1: I showed him a picture of a huntsman spider.
0: So. Well, thank you for that yeah. worm news, baby.
1: Yeah. Are you ready for me to begin? With your, what did you call it? Your bummery?
0: My bummery story? Yeah, your bummery. Well, bummering. it's just...
1: Let's, let's get to the bummery.
0: Look, we promised to bring you true crime and murders. And sometimes they're a little bit on the ugly side. Sometimes they're bummery. This one is bummery. <laughs> All right. so let's Let the bummery begin.
1: Let's go down under. All right. Mighty.
0: Mate, Might. Just look for boxes <laughs> hanging in trees and don't put your hand in. That's right. So this story is about a chap by the name of John Sharp with an E mm-hmm. at the end and his beautiful family. Okay. Okay. John was born in 67 mm-hmm. in a town called Mornington, which I think is about fifty. 50- 50 clicks south of Melbourne. Oh. Somewhere in that area, in Australia. And in the early 90s, he was working at a place called the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And there he met a fetching young lady named Anna Kemp. Uh, She was a New Zealand native, and she was working as a fellow employee of the bank. And they began dating, and blah, 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 one thing led to another, bada bing, bada boom, now they're married. They got married in October of 1994. And through the years, they lived in various locations around the Mornington Peninsula area, south of Melbourne. And fast forward to August of 2002. So they've been married close to eight years. Uh, August of 2002, they had their first daughter, Gracie. And Gracie, unfortunately, had a congenital abnormality, hip dysplasia oh, wow. now i know you have experience with hip dysplasia not yeah. personally but right. with dogs
1: yeah exactly. I've, i not
0: i haven't heard it with humans yeah. but right. uh very common with certain breeds of dogs um it required some orthopedic treatment and she had to wear a corrective harness for the first three months mm-hmm. of her life to get things kind of back on track she was not what you would call an easy baby Um, She had trouble sleeping. She cried quite a bit.
1: Well, she was in a harness. Right. And and uh, it was
0: probably a lot of pain. Right. That's, well, yeah. I mean, there was a reason for it in this case. But that doesn't make the living situation any more tolerable. Right. Um, And so when situations like this happen, uh, it can put a strain on a marriage. And it was no exception in the Sharp household. So... Even after the harness wasn't needed by her anymore, she still had problems with sleeping and eating, and her incessant crying still persisted. So she was like a colicky baby yeah, forever, it seems. Um, on a seemingly unrelated note, in September, I'm sorry, in just 2003, John dis- developed a sudden interest in spearfishing. Hmm. I'm just throwing it in there. He, he went to a local sporting goods store and bought a spear gun and several spears. A- and he spent a good, good amount of time out in the backyard in the family house uh, shooting the thing and kind of practicing and honing his skills. This will come into play later on.
1: Yeah. It yeah. wasn't a coincidence. No. <laughs>
0: so in November of 2003, the Sharps bought a new home in Mornington. And at this point in their little family's life, little Gracie was about 15 months old, and the couple had recently discovered that Anna had become pregnant with their second child. So that gives you kind of mm-hmm. an idea of what's going on with the family. This second pre- uh, pregnancy, however, uh, was not uh, something John was very excited about. In fact, he was on the other end of the spectrum. He would scream at his wife uh, that, you know, we had a deal. We were only going to have one child, and Ooh. you know he felt yeah. that he felt that one child was burden enough, Ooh. and he didn't want another one. And so he began to resent his wife and his unborn child, Uh-oh. and his existing child. I think he already resented her yeah. quite a bit too. So four four months later, on March twenty first, two thousand four, the Sharp family attended a, a, bir- a birthday party for a nephew, and. Other people were present at the party. And then when they were questioned later by authorities, foreshadowing, Yeah, uh, they felt (laughs) that the, the Sharps were getting along fine. They didn't see, note any tension or arguments or anything like that. So I bring that up because that was the last known date where the whole family was seen together before. The, uh, the incident, <laughs> yeah, the events, yeah, exactly. The events that unfold, at, <laughs> right. at, at
1: The bummery occurs, <laughs> right,
0: exactly. So the future bummery. That's right. So two days later, two days after this party, March twenty third.
1: Oh, that's a great day. It is a great day. Wonderful uh, people are born on that day. Yeah,
0: I've heard that. Um, John and his wife Anna had a big argument before going to bed, and after Anna nodded off. John got out of bed, mm-hmm. went to the garage, oh, known as a garage here in the states.
1: Oh, okay, uh,
0: and retrieved his spear gun. Mm. Then he kind of creeped over to his wife's side, and from a distance of only a an inch or two, oh god, uh, fired yeah. a spear into his wife's temple.
1: Well, he realized he wasn't very good when he was shooting in the backyard. <laughs>
0: yeah. He
1: kept missing the tree. He didn't want
0: to leave anything to chance on right. this one. So, yeah. But he he shot. So he shot her in the temple, and he was both surprised and angered that she was still breathing, and still hmm. moaning and such. So he reloaded the gun.
1: Hasn't he seen that Halloween costume when the, where the arrow goes all the way through the head? Yeah.
0: He probably no. Well, I don't think he had. No. So, what does he do? He reloads with another spear. How long are these spears? They're like, I mean, they're like arrows. I mean... For those of you at home that can't see... It's about this (laughs) big. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Scott is showing you with his hands.
0: It's about that big. Yeah. About about, yay big. Yay
1: yay big. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, he's showing like three feet. About three feet. Yeah, I think
0: that's about right. So, he uh, loads up another spear. So, did it go through... Well, it it penetrated her skull. I don't think it went out the other way. Yeah, But it stopped. stopped. So, Isn't
1: the skull an amazing thing? It really is. It was like, you know, fuck you,
0: dude. Mm. I don't know if she said that.
1: No, the skull
0: did. Oh, I see.
1: The skull was like, you're going to have to do something better than that.
0: Well, so that's what he was thinking. And so what he did is he loaded up another spear and shot another one into her head.
1: Same location? Uh, Approximate. He he mixed it
0: up a little bit. I don't think he was thinking about brain physiology or anything. He was just shooting her in the head. Yeah. I think that was just...
1: He was just the Australian version of a hillbilly. Could be. Could be. Yeah. So, he had not yet determined this might not be the best weapon for the job.
0: <laughs> yeah, how you choose that. <laughs> I mean, he he obviously had some forethought here. Perhaps
1: they have gun laws in Australia.
0: Yeah, maybe it's, yeah, no problem to get a spear gun, yeah. but a regular gun. Maybe That's enough. No. Not so easy. Yeah. So he shoots yeah. the second spear into her head, and that seemed to do the trick. She stopped breathing, stopped yeah. moving. So he covered her up. Yeah, scales aren't quite as...
1: as Resistant as the human skull.
0: Yeah, but you know, you know, two did the job. So, okay. all right. So he covered her up with some towels, and he went downstairs to sleep on the sofa bed because he wasn't going to sleep in their bed. It was all icky with it was blood gross. and stuff. Yeah. It had
1: like stuff
0: in it. Right. So the next day he reco- and
1: and he was already a little resentful that he, she used
0: two of his spears. Oh wait, she you, was... wait. You'll hear hear some oh, okay. more about that. So the next day, he returns to his wife's body to retrieve the spears.
1: Yeah. He's not a wasteful man. But the
0: nature of the spear tip is such that once it's in, you can't really pull it out. And so he had to unscrew the shaft (laughs) from the spear head.
1: Yeah. What? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did say that uh, and uh, so he just told, took the shafts yeah. and he left um, and he drug her body to the
1: heritage bush?
0: no oh. so he drug her body out to the backyard where he placed her in a pre-dug shallow grave the classic shallow she, grave she
1: didn't notice what he was doing out uh, there
0: it was too hot it was too hot and he was out there screwing with his spear gun and she didn't really pay yeah. attention so uh, he fin- he put her in he covered her up And then he went in and got Gracie up and took her to uh, daycare. Oh. Just pressed on with his day. So a a few days after killing his wife, John took his daughter Gracie with him to a a local sporting goods shop to buy another spear.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, because he, you know. He needs the pointy end. Right. And so on March 27th, which is four days after he killed his wife, John put little Gracie to bed and returned down to the living room where he drank several uh, adult beverages Mm. to kind of uh, numb himself to prepare him for the night's festivities. So once again, he went out to the garage. Is Mm
1: -hmm. that right? Did I say that right? Of course you did.
0: To get his spear gun,
1: every Australian I know sounds exactly like that.
0: Well, wait, I'm going to do some Australian. You're going to do some good bit. stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. Uh, so he went out and got his spear gun, as well as the new spear,
1: mm, brand new,
0: brand new. That's and serious. he, I'm glad
1: that it's not the one that he was shooting trees and dirt with. Because yeah, because you get have, an infection. Yeah, that would
0: have been rude. So he, he slips into Gracie. Now this is not funny, even though we're still making jokes, but it's horrible. But I'm going to still make jokes. Okay. okay? That's, well, right? that's,
1: we ha- that's what we have to do.
0: He slips in. He aims the spear at her head and fires. Mm-hmm. And the spear uh, penetrates her skull. But like her mom,
1: she, she didn't go quietly. That's right.
0: So <laughs> These women were hard-headed. They were strong Aussie women. So she was severely wounded and screaming loudly but wasn't dead. Because we dead. know
1: from childhood she's good at that.
0: That's right. And so he was out of spears. So, God. what's he going to do? He, did,
1: he didn't think of after the first one he needed a backup?
0: Yeah, she was little. I don't know. So, John went and retrieved the two tipless spears that he had pulled from oh, his wife's
1: head. Oh, no.
0: And fires those both, one after the other, into her head. <laughs> now, you don't think this is bummery? This is...
1: I was going to say something a lot more offensive, but I'm going to stick with... Dude, the skull is the heaviest bone in the body. There are so...
0: All right. So wait, it gets even worse.
1: God, how stupid is this guy? This guy is the dumbest guy. There's something
0: wrong with him, for sure. He is the dumbest,
1: dumbest, dumbest man. So... There are so many softer parts of the body. Like, do it in the throat. What's wrong with this guy?
0: Baby. Don't suggest how he should kill his do- young daughter. That's not right.
1: No, but she now she's suffering. Well, I yeah, he, he
0: saw that. And so after he had oh. fired both of the pointless ones into oh. her head and she was still breathing. Uh, Does she grab a machine gun and is it like a movie? No, he no. pulled one of the shafts out of her head, loaded it and fired it back into her head How did head he again. get it out? This was one of the pointless ones. Oh, okay. The one, just the shaft part. And that did the trick. So it took four shots for her. uh, One with a point and three without a point. Um, And from all this shooting and stuff and drama, he was tired, so he went to bed. (sighs) So, (sighs) bummery. Yeah. Am I right? So the next morning, he went back to her bedroom and... And she was gone. (laughs) No, she was still there. And he pulled the spears out of her head. He held, and he, this is kind of crazy, he held a towel up to his eyes while he was doing this so he wouldn't have to see what he had done. And that's
1: his side of the story.
0: That's what he said, yeah. Yeah. Then he wraps her up in garbage bags and a tarp and mm-hmm. uh, disposes- But he couldn't look at it? No. Disposes a, of her he's body- He's full of shit. At the Monington Refuse Transfer Station. Yeah, he's full of shit. Which is, I guess, a trash, trash dump, dump, right? Yeah. And on that same trip, he also uh, discarded the spear gun, the spear, spears, and some of her toys and clothes as well.
1: But so they went on. So you could say they went on vacation.
0: Well, he's going to have a story, and I'm going to tell you all about it in just a second. Here, so two days later, he goes to a local hardware store and he buys some of the classics: duct tape, tarps, <laughs> and a chainsaw. Ah. Oh. And the next day, he exhumes his wife's body out of that shallow grave. And they say in the story, he cut her body into three pieces. Hmm. Now, where would that, where would the three pieces, how how would you do that? How would you, if you were given the task Hmm. of cutting up a body into three parts, where would you cut? Could only do three pieces. Yeah. Goodness. I mean, I'm thinking like belly button. And then cut off the head. The head, though, is
1: not that big a deal. I would say
0: maybe the two legs. Well, guy, listeners, if you have any ideas, please email us yeah, at, <laughs> at com and let us know <laughs> so what you don't, would do. So they never specified? They did not. They just said three pieces.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, he's stupid, though. So yeah. maybe it was the hands and the head.
0: Yeah, one hand, one hand, and, and head. Then the head. Yeah. And then well he's no, but then stupid. he got the rest of it though. He got the rest of the body.
1: Yeah, but he's stupid. he's already proven to be
0: Maybe right. he cut off one hand, one head the head, and then the rest of the body was the third part. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, what a what an idiot. So he returns home from going to the waste uh collection bins, um at the Mornington Transfer station. Mm-hmm. Station. station. Uh, and he returned home. He sat down at his computer and he sent an email looking like from his dead wife mm-hmm. uh, to her family in New Zealand to, you know, create the impression that she was doing fine and she was alive and well. And perhaps he wasn't as clever as he thought. We've already decided that. Right. right. But uh, the family got suspicious after those emails. Maybe it was his uh, the language he was using or spelling or Punctuation, Mm -hmm. syntax, whatever, and they ended up contacting their local police in New Zealand. And the New Zealand police started doing some long distance shoe leather work, and they were contacting Anna's mother, her friends, her employer, and the one person they were having trouble getting in contact with was John. Weird. That is weird. So the detective in New Zealand put together a a case file of everything he had already gathered, and he sent it off to the Victoria Police Department uh, missing persons unit, uh, who quickly read through it and got a hold of John, and Ooh. brought him in. So, when when asked about his missing wife and daughter, John told police
1: Australian police didn't say I'm sorry. They have to be miss. They're allowed to be missing because they're a legal adult. Uh, that's a uniquely
0: American thing I guess I guess yeah so uh, John said that um, his wife had taken their daughter and moved to a nearby Melbourne suburb of Chelsea to be with another man oh. and he denied any knowledge of where she was the, know, baby, heard exact the new baby's father probably right exactly. exactly he did say that later on so they got a bad vibe it's kind of some red flags going yeah. on and so they started surveilling him and watching Uh-oh. him, and they watch him walk up to a pub. They say a public toilet, so it looked like a, I don't know, it oh, looked is like it one a of the building. No, you, no, oh, it no. was actually like a at a park. You know, you would see, hmm. and he walks up and he kind of ducks into some bushes, and when he comes back out of the bushes, he's holding a like a gr- plastic grocery bag, and he's kind of rifling through it, and he retrieves what appears to the officers who are surveilling him uh, to be a credit card. And then he goes back into the bushes and restashes his bag into the hidey hole
1: Hmm. and
0: leaves and walks away. So what do the police do after that?
1: Well, they go up and and they grab the bag. bag.
0: (laughs) And what's in the bag? Anna's mobile phone, uh, another Visa card, and her driver's license. Mm-hmm. So that little action catapulted him into the sole position, sole holder of the prime suspect. Right. Title. Well, Not that more, he wasn't more, already more, there.
1: And more importantly, it, they said, we don't think she's with another man.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: We think he's lying.
0: Yeah, right. So,
1: liar, liar, pants on fire. They
0: started following the purchases on her credit card, and one of them was uh, some flowers that that he sent to her mother in New Zealand. And that was kind of creepy. And Anna's family members kept police informed about the emails that they were receiving, Um, and none of them believed that they were coming from Anna. So everybody was starting to look at well, John probably or something.
1: Mainly because she was sending stuff like "Stop calling the
0: police, you bitch!" Right? I'm fine. <laughs> that tipped him <them laughs> off. Good one, baby. <laughs> so uh, John then went. It appeared on national television oh,
1: and those plead are the for. Best. Yeah,
0: it is the best, and it went something like this: <laughs> Anna, our <All> marriage. <laughs> Anna, our marriage may be over, but I still love you, and you are the mother of our beautiful daughter, Gracie, whom we both adore many uh, (laughs) more than anyone else. And then he went on to (laughs) say... (laughs) <laughs> wow. Wow. That's good stuff. That was good stuff. Uh, he went on to say that he had spoken with his wife a week earlier, and he said that he asked anybody that had any information to come forward. And he also alluded to the fact that Anna had run off with another man. He got to drop those little morsels out there during this press conference. So on May 20th, uh, Mornington police visited John at his home. Uh-huh. And the story he gave them about her running off with another man, etc., didn't sit right with detectives. You see, they were being sneaky because they already knew a lot more than they were oh. letting on. And they just let him go on and on about with his bullshit story. So-
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Our police do that, too.
0: Yep, and they do. And they yeah. can lie, we found and out. We found that out. We found out they can they're lie. They're tricky. They are tricky that way. So they called him back for a second interview. They're In the meantime, they're doing all their investigation, and they're, they're building their case against this guy. They call him in for an interview on June 10th, and he was still maintaining the story that his wife had voluntarily left on March uh, 23rd. But... Which is a
1: great day, but...
0: Right. He wasn't budging. Uh, But on June 22nd, the police finally felt they had enough evidence, and they arrested him and took him to jail. And on that day, when they arrested him, he was interviewed extensively. And during the first part of the interview, he continued to stick with his I don't know anything about it story. And then he asked the police if he could call some of his family members, which they allowed him to do. Mm Mm-hmm. He made some calls, and then he came back into the interview room, and they resumed. And at that point, uh, he admitted to both murders. And this is what he said. I killed my wife because she was controlling and moody, and our marriage was not a happy one. And then he added. I was thinking of taking care of Gracie by myself." And just amongst this madness. But that's when I lost the plot. I don't understand what that means. But that's mm, what he said. Yeah. I think what he meant was... I'm yeah, a dick. I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I've already killed the mom. And, I'm, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And it's really a bad time for me to be raising the child by myself. Uh, it's not, and she cries it's not, a lot. It's not going to work and out.
1: Yeah. It just... Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so... <sighs> An- according to some of the family members another reason that he might have killed uh his wife was because she had discovered that he was diddling his little daughter. He uh, was doing bad things oh. to her. Apparently John had something of a history of sexually abusing children. Yeah. Uh. The, I think I think the wife didn't know about it but some family members knew he had a little bit of a past. Oh. Yeah. He didn't mention that earlier. So
1: maybe he really meant it that there shouldn't be more children in the house.
0: Maybe he was. Yeah, I was speaking from experience and it was for the best. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. In in August, uh, he pleaded guilty to both murders and was sentenced to two consecutive life terms, which for some crazy Australian reason means that he'll be eligible for parole in 33 years. Oh,
1: my God. (laughs) So I don't
0: know. They don't do things quite the same over there. Um, But he remains in protective custody to this day because there have been so many threats on his life from fellow prisoners. Good for them. And the media had labeled him the Mornington Monster. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: And also from another story Uh of ours... The Chris Watts of Australia.
1: Oh yes. You remember him? Yes. I did that put story him in a tank. too.
0: That's right. He he killed his whole family and put his daughters in the oil drums or oh yeah. God almighty. But anyway, so I guess that that story's known in Australia and he became the Chris Watts of Australia. Yeah. So was that bummery enough? Yeah. At least he's stupid. He's stupid and he's in prison for at least 33 years. 33 <laughs> How do they come up with that? So if it was only one <laughs> life sentence, what is it? 15, 16 and a half years? Is that? Uh,
1: yeah.
0: I don't uh. know. I don't know those Australians. I we love know. them. I mean, we love We do.
1: Love them. We
0: do. And we've got listeners. And we have listeners yeah. in New Zealand, too, now. Yeah. Uh, hello, mates. How's that? <laughs> uh, but the same thing with the Brits. They're... Their system of justice and their sentencing is so much different than it is here. Well, maybe we're skewed because we're in Texas and things... Yeah,
1: things are a little... different. Yeah, yeah. I will say the United States doesn't have like a universal policy. It's very different. Well,
0: as a comedian once said, uh, not only does Texas have the death penalty, but they've got an express lane. Yeah. That was (laughs) Ron White. Ron White. There you go, Ronnie. All right. Uh, So... Clap your hands, everybody, and everybody just clap your hands. Next story. Finally, there it we is. got it back. I did. Ugh. So, is yours bummery or no? No, mine is not. Okay, cool. Yeah. The the palate cleanser. Yeah. As it were. The trip, the journey,
1: the fall.
0: Is that the name of it?
1: Yeah. That oh. was for Steve. Hi, Steve.
0: The trip, the journey, the fall. Yeah. All right, lay it on me. So. Uh, yeah. Mumby
1: has always been fit and considered an attractive woman. Mumby? Mumby. Okay, yeah. Even now, at 50 years old and the mother of two, she gets noticed. Huh. She's taller than average, right. has beautiful dark skin, and cheekbones that could cut glass. Wow. Yeah. Hubba, She's hubba. originally from Kenya, and I. It's probably this touch of exotic in her looks that has always given her so much attention in her new home of Chicago.
0: I see. Yeah.
1: Her and her kids had just returned home from the trip of a lifetime. Hmm. Where'd they go? Moombi had just been saving for years and years to make this happen because it had been over 10 years since she'd been home and seen her parents. Before either of her children had been born. But now, the kids were old enough. Her savings was enough to make it happen. And the two-week trip to her homeland in Kenya could not have been more
0: perfect. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mumbai. (laughs) Mumbai and Mumbai, no? No. All right, Kenya. No. All right.
1: Uh, My dream trip too. by the way, Mm. along with Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. Just saying, I know, it's not about me. Back to our story. Of course, she got all of them the right vaccines. She was very overly cautious. Mm -hmm. She even got all three of them the medicine to prevent malaria, and she was religious about making sure they took it as prescribed. She would not let anything ruin one minute of this trip that she had worked so hard to make happen. It was her dream come true to bring her family together, and it had to be perfect. If there was anything she could avoid, like illness, she would do it. Okay, good planning. Her parents fell in love with them. Of course they did. How could they not? And her children, they loved the wildlife, the dancing, the flavor, it was every bit the perfect trip of her dreams. That was until, until the journey home. Oh. It had been brutal. The babies had recovered from the jet lag in a day or two, but not Moomby. She had never felt so old in her entire life. Huh. She thought, well, you know, youth to be young and vibrant again. But not just with each passing day, but seemingly with each passing hour, she felt worse. boy. She thought, well, I'll give it a week, you know, one week. Surely, I will feel better by then. But, oh, no, that jet lag turned worse and worse. There is tired, sure, but then there is tired.
0: Fatigue.
1: Fatigue, exhaustion. Mm -hmm. The kind where you feel like you have not slept like one minute in weeks on end. That is the kind of tired she was feeling. Every day that passed, she dropped to a whole new level of horrible. She was so, so sick at her stomach. And hot and sweaty Like she had the world's highest fever. Her body ached like she had the flu. It hurt everywhere. Okay, the week was up and she called her doctor. And enough was enough. You know, she had to get help. And of course, she was out of town. It took a little longer to think. It was like her brain was moving in slow motion. Mumbi was so tired. Even though she couldn't sleep, she really, really wanted to. And then she decided she would just have to find another doctor. She called around and called around until she could find one that would squeeze her in. She managed how she did not begin to know to get herself to a doctor. There she realized that these cruel doctors use lights a hundred times brighter than what could ever possibly be needed. Mm. Were they trying to pierce the back of her skull with this light? Mm. Why did it have to be so bright? She had to force herself to keep her eyes in the half-open position. But finally, the blessed sight of a young and kind-looking doctor appeared and knocked at the door. She acted very interested as Mumbai described her glorious vacation with family and the hell week that came after. But then Mumbai stopped. A light bulb seemed to go off in her head and she added, I think I felt this before. She then told the doctor about being a young girl growing up in Kenya, and how at, right around seven years old, she had a severe bout of malaria. It felt so similar to this that she never forgot how terrible she felt. Wow. She thought she was going to die. Poor Moonby. The doctor seemed very interested, and she nodded and listened And honestly, it made sense. Sadly, malaria is endemic, meaning always there, to most of Africa. In particular, everything south of the Sahara Desert, including Kenya. For those of you who have not looked at a map or a globe recently, the Sahara Desert is located at the very top quarter of the continent, making about 75% of the continent South of the Sahara. And the risk area is expanding. In fact, the number one cause of fever from any traveler returning from
0: Africa is malaria. And that's the number one place you want to go, right? Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> All right. Here we go.
1: However, like every good doctor, she needed more information. What other medical problems do you have, Mumbai? Asthma, high blood pressure, heart disease? None. She was completely healthy. Okay. What other medications do you take on a regular basis? None. And I don't smoke, drink, or use drugs either. She worked in an office, not around livestock or anything unusual, not in the woods. And she was divorced, living with the two beautiful kids, and... She did start the preventative medication two weeks before the trip and took it exactly as
0: prescribed. Wait a second, I'm confused. So, did you say the doctor was a woman?
1: (laughs) 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 She had it once and did not want her children to suffer through that. The doctor started her exam. Mumbai did not have a fever, And high fever is usually a symptom. But she'd already told the doctor that she took Tylenol and had been taking it every three to four hours. So that could explain the lack of fever. She was sweaty and her heart was racing. Otherwise, her exam was completely unremarkable.
0: Hmm.
1: Malaria really began to make sense to the doctor. profuse sweating, headache, muscle pain, nausea, and even worse, while we hate to advertise it and we always want everyone to take the prophylactics, there is a certain type of malaria in parts of Kenya that is not killed by them. Just like bacteria that can grow resistant to antibiotics, this malaria has outsmarted our drugs. Hmm. Just like there are mosquitoes in Africa that have outsmarted DEET. It's kind of creepy. Since she had already had this infection for more than a week, and malaria is caused by a parasite, it was really important that treatment was started quickly. As bad as the illness was, it was a three-day anti-parasitic treatment that would end it. Mumbai was grateful to take the medication and looked forward to being back to her normal self and such a quick turn of events.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like this is going to have <sighs> a happy ending.
1: Quick, quick story, right? Yeah. In a perfect world, that would be the end of the story. But for Moombi, it was not a perfect world. Mm. She believed she had malaria, and so did her doctor. But after three days of pills, she felt even worse. She had become so weak she could hardly care for herself. She couldn't move. She threw up non-stop. Her heart felt like it was going to jump out of her chest. It thumped so hard and so fast. She was so sweaty and felt so feverish. She could not eat at all for four straight days, and it had been at least two since she had the strength to get out of bed. She knew the medication had failed. So she made the heartbreaking call to the same young doctor who promptly sent her to the ER. Things had gone from bad to worse. and the ER, her vitals were troublesome. Mumbai had extremely high blood pressure, something she had never had before, and her heart rate was way too high. Only now, her white blood count had dropped dangerously low, and it was clear her liver was in distress.
0: I would have thought her white blood cell count would have been high at that point. Right? Am I wrong about that, or is it?
1: Not if it was malaria, but we now know it's not. Right. It still was not clear what was wrong with her, so they admitted her to the hospital. They gave her medicine to stop the vomiting and just stopping that seemed to make a difference. She did improve. Still after four days in the hospital, there was no diagnosis for what had started this whole thing in the first place. Mm. All they knew for sure was that it was not malaria. They had done three separate blood smears searching for the parasites And all came back clean. Even though she had no fever when the blood was taken, which is always the best time to draw for for malaria, they still showed no sign of the infection at all. Maybe she just had a really bad reaction to the malaria drug. I mean, she was feeling a bit better now. And once she was eating, she was again discharged. And again, with no real answer. Of course, could you have guessed this? Without those anti-nausea drugs, once home again, Mumbai was throwing up again. She tried to be strong, and she toughed it out another week. But then she knew she was in trouble. So back to the ER she went. But this time, the ER staff recognized they were outmatched. They were a little community hospital, and they were worried. Not wanting anything to happen to her, they transferred her to Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, a hospital ranked number one in Illinois and where most of their own mentors still worked. They felt certain that their puzzle would be solved there. At Rush... Mumbai had the best. Immediately, an infectious disease specialist was on the case. What could be wrong with her? They kept her there an entire week. So many doctors, so many specialists, and so many tests. And no answers. Mm. Again, when the vomiting was controlled and she was able to eat, she was sent home under the care, as an outpatient of a new infectious disease doctor. Please, guess what happened to Mumbai? Within days of being home, off the hospital anti-nausea drugs, she was as sick as ever. You'd
0: think they'd send her home with an RX for uh, anti-nausea drugs.
1: It's not the same as having it put through your veins.
0: That's true. But...
1: Back to rush she went, more doctors, new doctors, CT scans, MRIs, a biopsy of her liver. No, they weren't all normal. But nothing added up in a way that meant anything. Her blood counts were a little off. So were her electrolytes. But what do you expect from someone sweating? with a heart rate that stays over 160 beats per minute every day, all day, all the time. She's dehydrated. She keeps throwing up. All of that makes a difference. And in the end, nothing contributed to a diagnosis. She was given half a dozen drugs, from antibiotics to antivirals to antiparasitic medications. Doctors seem to be going on the principle of Well, we may not know what it is, but eventually we should kill it if we try everything. (laughs) Right. However, none of it worked. Oh. What could she have picked up in Kenya that is this unstoppable? There are so many superbugs and now so many new emergent diseases appearing in the world. That this one is scary. Oh no. They began to fear that this was a patient. They were just going to lose. Answers just did not come for Mumbai. After several more weeks exactly like this. Of going in and out of literally the best hospital in Illinois. Mumbai found herself at home again. But this time... She was too sick and too weak to care for her children. She called a close friend and asked her to come stay with her and watch her children while she tried and prayed to recover. Her friend quickly agreed, packed a bag, and was there in no time. But upon arriving, her friend was horrified at what she found. Mumbai was thin and gray, her lips pale and cracked. It was far worse than anything she could have ever expected. She demanded Mumbai tell her everything. And once she heard it, she said, You must call Dr. Brown. She will know what to do. Dr. Brown had been Mumbai's physician for more than 20 years and knew her patient extremely well. She had an appointment that same week. Dr. Brown was also shocked by her appearance. Normally her visits were more like routine checkups of a beautiful, healthy, vibrant woman. They would catch up on life, tell some fun stories, and look forward to the next year. Mumbai was always robust and radiant. Dr. Brown entered the room and Mumbai was leaned over the basin in the corner and the room had that smell. Yes. She was throwing up again. Those once powerful cheekbones now looked gaunt and haunting like they would cut through her skin. Mumbai had lost a dangerous amount of weight. Her left leg trembled now and would jerk uncontrollably. With a steady tone, the doctor asked, What in the world has happened to you? Mumbai needed help from her friend to tell her story. She was weak, frail, and told it as best she could recount. Dr. Brown did not have any access to the countless hospital records, so she only knew what her patient, her long-time patient, who she cared for, could tell her. She has been sick ever since coming home from Kenya. She did not have malaria. She has never been this sick in her life. Could she get on the exam table? No. It took the doctor, the friend, and a nurse to help the now frail and fragile woman. (sighs) Okay. Dr. Brown did what she always does for everyone. A careful, gentle, systematic assessment. She started at the tip top of the head and would work her way all the way down to the itty-bitty end of the baby pinky toes. Oh, wee-wee-wee. At the neck, Dr. Brown suddenly stopped. Her thyroid gland was larger than normal. Mumbai said it wasn't tender. Still, it was big. Dr. Brown was pretty sure this was new. She noted it and continued, again, very systematic. Her reflexes were wild. One little tap would send an arm or leg flying like crazy. The left leg had a mind all its own and would jerk, shake, tremble, and kick. She had to excuse herself and told the two women she needed to read up on something and check your chart. When she returned Dr. Brown was confident. Mumbai you do not have an infection. You have hyperthyroidism. You are experiencing a thyroid storm, the most dramatic and severe form of the disease. Everything fits. The rapid heartbeat, the sweating, shaking, weight loss. She had just been unsure of the vomiting. She had to look it up. And while a more unusual symptom, it is a documented one. She also confirmed that Mumbai had not had any enlargement of her thyroid in any one of her past visits over the last 20 years. Mm. By that very afternoon, it was confirmed through blood tests. Dr. Brown had Mumbai in an emergency appointment with an endocrinologist the very next morning. The one thing Mumbai could not understand was how was it this simple? How did the other doctors miss it? At rush, no less. How did they not see her enlarged thyroid, especially as she wasted away with weight loss? Well... The answer is not always as simple as it may seem. Mm. It should be. Every symptom I gave from the beginning has said, has screamed hyperthyroidism. It was described perfectly as as I told this story. But first, of course, is the human defense. Those doctors are just humans pretending to be superheroes capable of doing something supposedly other humans can't. And humans make mistakes. But I know what everyone's thinking. All of them? Okay, okay. Second, they could have simply not actually seen it. They all knew the signs of hyperthyroidism. I promise they do. However, if nobody noticed she had an enlarged thyroid, they wouldn't have bothered with it. They forgot the very first rule of medicine. When you hear hoofbeats, look for horses, not zebras. Remember that the patient told them she had just come back from a trip to Kenya and that she had malaria as a child, and this illness felt exactly the same. Immediately, being mindful of their patient's feelings, they dove headfirst into that concrete pond without a second thought they expected they expected an infectious disease from an exotic land Mm -hmm. so that is what they looked for that's what they expected to find it's a rush to judgment a rush to judgment (laughs) they were looking for exotic yeah Kenya
0: as soon as they heard Kenya they heard Kenya
1: and that's all and that's the that's all they could see yeah Now, I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming Mumbai. Your job as a patient is to confess everything to your doctor. They can't be their best or your best advocate if you don't tell them everything. But in this case, they got a little excited and a little distracted. But there's a third reason. And this is what I choose to believe because it's a really big one. Goiters, the name given to an enlarged thyroid, are very, very, very rare in the United States. Strike one against those doctors if they didn't notice it. Unless they did. Very uncommon in the United States due to the type of table salt we use. Iodine? Iodinized. Mm -hmm. However, in areas with iodine-deficient diets like sub-Saharan Africa, they are considered extremely common. Overall, across the continent, According to the World Health Organization, over 25% of children growing up in Africa will develop a goiter, an enlarged thyroid. Oh. And in some areas, that number is actually as high as
0: 90%. Jeez.
1: And so, you know, once a thyroid is enlarged, it usually stays that way. So to a physician who is treating a woman who has already acknowledged growing up in Kenya, in sub-Saharan Africa, seeing an enlarged thyroid may not seem remarkable. Instead, it was her personal physician who recognized it as a change. Yeah. One study I found showed that Graves' disease another thyroid disease this one autoimmune not caused by iodine also enlarges your thyroid that's the one that causes the bulging eyes Mm mm-hmm you've most people have seen that one it changes your skin texture causes light sensitivity weight loss it has an incidence as high as 47% in Kenya but if that study is correct That means as much as 47% of the population in Kenya would have an enlarged thyroid. So I'm not excusing the doctors that missed it. Not at all. I'm just saying that patients and doctors have to work together and patients can't give up just because one doctor or all the doctors at Rush failed. It really helps to have a relationship with a doctor who knows you. It saved me from cancer. No other doctor would have believed me except mine because I had my doctor for over 20 years as well. So perhaps the doctors did see it. But in this one patient, they thought it was normal. It was an unremarkable thing. They saw it out of the corner of their eye, an enlarged thyroid. But she was here due to an infectious disease mm-hmm. that they had to find before it killed her. It never crossed their mind that that enlarged thyroid was new, because she grew up in sub-Saharan Africa.
0: Yeah, where it's common.
1: Where it's common.
0: But her own personal doctor knew that it was immediately common there.
1: that it wasn't common for her.
0: That's right. Well. Hmm. Hmm. Hmm? What? (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. Wow. Thyroids. Boy, there's a lot of thyroid stuff going on around here, (laughs)
1: right?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Thank you for uh, enlightening us. Yeah. Where'd you get all that stuff, hon?
1: So, they... uh... Worm news was Ripley's dot com, National Geographic, and then my story was Diagnosis by Dr. Lisa Sanders and Epidemiology of Thyroid Diseases in Africa.
0: Ah, remind me to read that when I'm having trouble sleeping.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a <clears throat> tough one. It is a it's stat it's a very very long, uh, lots of statistics. Very it's a it's not the easiest to read.
0: All right, well. Mine was uh, I found a new thing called stay at home mm. uh, Wikipedia, of course, and Crime Investigation Australia mm-hmm. for my story. And the cities that I want to talk about uh, hello to our uh, ever returning pals in Leominster and Ipswich, of course, and then uh, a new couple of cities, San Francisco. Came oh, in strong wow. for the first time. Burton, Michigan is a new Michigan city. And Chicago, we've all had right. before. And uh, on the uh, international front, in- interestingly enough, Nairobi, Kenya.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah.
0: that showed up. And Auckland, New Zealand, for my cool. story. So,
1: yeah. We're, We're talking about you guys today. That's
0: right. So, anything Rush else? Medical,
1: supposed to be the best in all of Illinois. Yeah. And... Uh, Kenya, well, you guys, if you guys will let me come visit, I'd be very, very happy.
0: Yeah. As long as we don't get goiters.
1: You're not going to get goiters oh, okay. from visiting. Okay, cool. And she didn't have malaria. Oh. And it's a, it's a three-day anti-parasitic to get rid of it. Oh. Three days. Three yeah, days of medication.
0: Nothing. Fine. Let's go. But,
1: and all you got to, and hey, just drink a little gin and juice and you'll be, and you won't get malaria anyway.
0: Ah, <laughs> I don't drink, though. Yeah. So then wow. what do I do?
1: Then you take quinine.
0: Quinine is in uh, ginger ale, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. It's problem solved. All right, guys. Thanks for coming back. And until next time. Live big. Rest in peace. The, the worms, worms are, are waiting. Paying. Adios.